I want to jump right in. We're going to read Romans 1 and starting in verse 16 through the end of the chapter. Paul starts Romans with talking about his eagerness to go to Rome to share the gospel and then jumps into the passage we're going to be reading today, but I'm going to pray first. Lord, I, I thank you that you are good. Thank you that you are the only one who satisfies. And I pray that you'd speak to our hearts today. Our hearts are open to your word. I pray this in your mighty name. Amen. So Paul starts Romans with talking about his eagerness to go to Rome and share the gospel. And he goes into what the gospel is. And he, Romans 1.16, he says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Amen? Uh, let's stand with Paul and have that be our heart cry. We are not ashamed. We're not ashamed of this good news. In Romans 1.17, he continues, For in it the righteousness of God is revealed. That word revealed means laid open. It means opened up. From faith to faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. The New Living Translation says it this way. This good news tells us how God makes us right in his sight. This is accomplished start to finish by faith. As the scriptures say, it is through faith that a righteous person has life. So Paul is passionate and pumped up. He's been wanting to go to Rome for a long time to, to share the gospel. That's, that's the, the power seat of, of the world at that time. And he's like, I want to go and share the gospel with you guys. I want to equip the church. And he's actually talking to the church. And he says, I want to share the gospel with you. I want to share this good news with you. And the reason he's so pumped about it is Paul spent most of his life chasing emptiness. He was a Pharisee and raised up and tried to do his best to follow God, not knowing God, but being a servant of God. And he just chased emptiness after emptiness after emptiness. In one of his letters, he wrote and he said, okay, I was, I was trained this way and I did this and I did all these great things. And even for zeal, I persecuted the church because I thought it went against the truth of what God was saying. He said, I did all of that, and he said, now I count it all as trash. He actually used another word that I can't say on a Sunday morning. But he, uh, he said, I count that as trash. It's, it's nothing. So Paul has this, this gospel burning in him, and hopefully we have that same thing. Hopefully our hearts have been transformed to where we go, okay, man, nothing satisfies other than Jesus. The good news that Jesus came is, is the good news that, that I can have life. So Paul begins to share the good news with the Romans. But those who know Romans 1, it doesn't sound like good news. This is the chapter that has gotten some people in parts of Europe arrested. So he starts and he goes, okay, here is the good news. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. I think sometimes we can be scared of talking about the wrath of God. 
Paul said, I am unashamed of the gospel, and that's the whole story of Jesus. That's the whole story of God. Sometimes in, in our society, we can, do, we, can, we can be really good at going, hey, Jesus loves you. Jesus forgives you. But we leave out the part that you need forgiven. We leave out the part that God is a holy God, and sin will be judged. And if we hold on to our sin, we will be judged with it. So that word all in there, I looked it up. I did a lot of study. The Greek word means all, <laughs> including the sins that I try to justify. Even the little, little white lies, the little compromise. The wrath of God is going to be revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Anywhere our life does not match the truth we are believing, we are suppressing the truth. If I say God fulfills all my needs, but then I get mad at my wife because I don't think she's fulfilling my needs, I'm suppressing the truth. If I say God fulfills all my needs, but then I'm looking on the internet to fulfill my needs, I'm suppressing the truth. And all of us have that in our life to some degree. He goes on in Romans 1, 19 through 20 to say this. For what can be known about God is plain to them, which means apparent, made manifest, because God has shown it to them, for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, has been clearly perceived, which means to be, be held fully ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. God has placed himself in plain sight for all to see. Everyone who wants God is going to get him. He's, he, he hasn't left it like where it's like, is there a God, is there a not? Is there not? Creation points to God. And so for, for all of us, we have as much God as we want. Romans 121 goes on and says, For although they knew God, because again, everybody has a clear glimpse of God. They did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. When he, we get a glimpse of the truth, when we come in contact with the truth, if we acknowledge there is a God, that comes with responsibility. It means there's something higher than us. It means there's something higher than our desires, something higher than our emotions, something higher than our opinions, something higher than our urges. And all of that is subordinate to him. But our two greatest enemies do not want to acknowledge there is a God. And I'm not talking about Satan because Satan and demons acknowledge there is a God. Our two greatest enemies are our pride and our selfishness. Because our, our pride, because then we must humble ourselves. Our selfishness, because our desires are no longer king. So many people faced with the reality of God choose to purposefully blind themselves. And when we choose to blind ourselves to truth, there are consequences, both as a society that we're seeing right now and as an ind individual. And this is the consequences. It says, but they became futile. That word means to make empty, like totally, to totally empty or, or to make vain. So they became 
empty in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Solomon says the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. The opposite is true also. When we lose our respect and honor and thankfulness for God, it is the beginning of foolishness. Anytime when we can talk ourselves into going against something that God has, we have just stepped into foolishness. And that's why you see people that, have, that are smart people that make one choice, and all of a sudden, they, are some of, they make some of the stupidest choices you've ever seen. I know that because I, I've seen it in my own life. And in, in other people's lives where it's just like, you're smarter than this. Right now, in our society, there's a lot of people that are looking for the answer for two plus two, but they've ruled out four. They don't want to acknowledge there's a God, a holy God, that, that makes the rules, that makes the laws. But then they're, they're trying to find purpose. They're trying to find meaning. And that's why we have the craziness that we have. It, that's, that's going to happen. Anytime a society turns their back on God, foolishness is going to come. Romans 122 through 123 says, Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. If we deny the truth about God, we will create a God in our own image. I had someone tell me once that I said, I cannot believe in a God that would say homosexuality is a sin. And I said, you cannot believe in a God? Like, it's more, you don't want to. But when we can look at those people and we can look at the world, we can look at progressive Christianity and we can judge them and go, hey, they're bad. But we do the same thing, just more politely. If feelings and urges become our gods, they become our masters. If God is not the highest, then our feelings become the highest. And that's where we're at right now in our society, where if you, if you step on somebody's feelings with the truth, it is called hatred now. Because you're stepping on their God. Because the God is the highest. And it hurts them and it angers them the same way as if somebody blasphemed Jesus to us. So what is this wrath that he's talking about? He's going to explain it in Romans 1, 24 through 25. It says, Therefore God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. The wrath of God is when God says, okay, have it your way. That is when he hands people over to themselves. That's why elsewhere Paul says, hey, if someone's in continued sin, hand them over to Satan. Let them stop challenging them. Just let them do their thing. C.S. Lewis says this. He says there are only two kinds of people in the end. Those who say to God, thy will be done, and those to whom God says in the end, thy will be done. All that are in hell, choose it. Without that self-choice, there would be no hell. No soul that seriously, constantly desires joy will ever miss it. Those who seek, find. Those who knock, those who knock it is opened. 
Hell is God saying, have your way. And so that's why in his mercy, sometimes in this lifetime, he goes, okay, I'm going to hand over this nation to itself. So they can see, the fo- hopefully some of them can see the foolishness of the way they're heading. I'm going to hand this person over to themselves. How many of you guys have ever had a prodigal that you've loved, that you've had to hand over, that you just kind of had to go, okay, I just got to let him go. Run, baby, run. That is the hardest thing. But in his love and his infinite wisdom, God says, hey, I, I'm willing to do that. Romans 1, 26 through 27 continues, For this reason God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty of their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossip, slanders, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. So every time I've heard this passage preached, which hasn't been often because there's no refrigerator magnet verses in this one, but every time I've heard it preached, it's been about the state of our society. And that's not a misinterpretation of this passage. That's where Rome was in that time, and We're the new Rome. That's where America is. I think this passage points the state of America very clearly. God has handed America over to its own desires. If you look at a lot of American society right now, there is a, there's a a foolishness. There's a craziness that is taking over where truth is, is lost. So though that preaching of this message is right and it's, the correct interpretation, it's incomplete. Because the next chapter in Romans begins with a therefore. And there weren't chapters in the original thing. It was just one letter. And a there, therefore is a connecting word. Saying, okay, because of all this, this. This is what Paul says in Romans 2, 1 through 5. He says, therefore you have no excuse, O man, Every one of you who judges. For passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself. Because you, the judge, practice the, same ver- the very same thing. Do you suppose, O oh man, you who judge those who practice such things, and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume, presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is supposed to lead you to repentance? But because of your hard and impertinent heart, you're storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. So I want to be real with you on how I plan to preach the sermon versus God's plan. In my plan, I was the hero of the story. 
God gave me this vision. I am a prophet, like the prophet Jeremiah, and I'm going to preach and turn all of you from your wickedness. And there's going to be altar call. People are going to be on their face. Because I got, I got a picture of me preaching, and I got a picture of an altar call and people on their face. I didn't realize that God wanted me on my face, too. Because just like it's easy to judge the world, it's even easy to judge the church, judge everybody except ourselves. And God was like, okay, I'm going to turn up the heat on you this week. And he began to expose all these things. And I began to look through Romans 128 through 32. And we, but I began to go through that. And I began to look through the things and realize that the majority of those things have footholds in my own life. Well, you might say, well, I am not a, I'm not a murderer. Well, Jesus said if you're angry at your brother, it's the same as murder. So if you go through this, you can look and you can go, okay, that's me. I like to be the hero of my story. I want to be David defeating Goliath. But in reality, I'm the scared Israelite needing to be saved. Jesus is my David. He is the one who rescues. And sometimes he lets me to be, be a part of that by his grace and mercy. But it's by his grace and mercy. Many of us have rightful concerns about the state of our society. We live in a society that suppresses truth for the sake of desires and urges. People have been taught to identify themselves by their urges. So if you speak against the urge, you are attacking them. We are raising a generation that doesn't know the concept of truth and fact. I'm talking about big America. I'm not talking about our church. Hopefully, within your families, you're, you're teaching your children how to discover truth and what truth is and the importance of truth. So how do we respond? Do we become angry, snarky Christians posting gotcha memes on Facebook and Instagram? about the foolishness of our society? Do we, every chance we get, when we get together, talk about how horrible our nation is, how horrible our culture is? Do we hide and just try to play safe? I think what we do is we repent. You who judge practice the very same things. What in your life are you not walking out the truth that God has shown you? At the blessing of the temple, God spoke this to Solomon about what to do if you see God's wrath coming on your society. He says, if my people who are called by my name, my people called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. He wants the fingers pointed at us. That's the trap of a lot of things right now. The trap of partisan politics is it's so easy to judge the other side and not point the finger back at us. The trap of our rural culture, which I love, is it's so easy to, to look at Portland and go, they are messed up, and not go, okay, what about all the drug use and abuse happening in our county? 
what about the self-righteousness in me? As I was praying this week, I realized the problem with the world is not crazy liberals, corrupt politicians, or broken school systems. The problem with the world is watered-down, unrepentant church. The problem with the world is me. The problem with the world is you. The problem with the world is us. It says, if my people, we are his people, what sets us apart? But how do we repent? What is repentance? Repent means to turn around. It means to turn away from something, and it means to turn toward something. Jeremiah was sent as a prophet to Israel in a time where they were walking away from the Lord. They were in the judgment of the Lord. The Lord had already said, hey, I am wiping you out as a nation. Nothing's going to change that. And Jeremiah was sent to preach repentance. And in verse, chapter 2, verse 5, God speaking through Jeremiah said this, and you can, you can hear the cry of his heart. It says, what wrong did your fathers find in me that they went far from me and went after worthlessness? The word worthlessness is emptiness or vanity, same as the, the word in Romans. Went after worthlessness and became worthless. When we chase things to fulfill ourselves other than God, we're chasing after emptiness and it creates an emptiness in us. And we have nothing to give the world except our anger or our hiding. In verse 11, God goes on to say, Has a nation changed its gods? And even though they are no gods, but my people have changed their glory for that which does not profit. That word glory is weight. It's the value. Again, empty. he's saying, my people have emptied themselves. I'm here. He's like, I'm here. What have I done? In Jeremiah 2.13, he continues, he says, for my people have committed two evils, because there's two parts of every sin. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. So a cistern is a thing that they, they still use in some societies now, especially in areas where there's real wet seasons and dry seasons, but it's a place that where they store rainwater. It's not like a well where they're digging down, but they store rainwater so the way they did it back then is there was usually a drain, there was a cover, and then they had a big kind of wide thing, almost like sometimes up to like bigger than our church building. But the important thing was the limestone plaster lining. If that was not there, the water would just go into the ground. What God's saying is, hey, you had me, a roaring spring, a fountain that follows you wherever you go, and then you went, and you said, okay, we need to store up water. We need to build this. We need to take the, our time. We need to work on this. And you're making broken cisterns. In repentance, we tend to focus on the second part of that verse. We try to turn away from our sin. Of going, okay, I'm going to stop. That's a broken cistern. Pornography, broken cistern. Not going to do it anymore. And we go, okay, I'm going I'm to set up. This, this rule, this rule, this rule, this rule, and, and rules are, are good when we need them. 
But then one of two things happens. We either just constantly return to the same sin over and over again, or worst, we turn to a more polite, socially acceptable sin. It's no longer pornography. Now we just watch Netflix, get our focus away from the, the struggle inside. Not saying Netflix is a sin in and of itself. I'm saying if you're, you're using it to escape, if you're trying to get fulfillment through it, it becomes a sin. Because we sin for a reason. Jerry Cook says sin is seeking to fill a legitimate need illegitimately. We were created to know God. We were created to intimately know God. And sin blocked our way to God. Jesus made a way. That's why when he came, he preached, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Because what he was saying, he's like, turn around, it's right here. Because repent means to turn around. He's like, you're trying to fill these things. He said, because he said, all of you who are thirsty, stop chasing after that. Come to me. And so a lot of times we spend a lot of time of re repenting for the broken cisterns just to build an, like, oh, God, I am so sorry. That was a broken cistern. Let me build one over here. Oh, God, that was, that was a broken cistern. I'm going to get more focused in ministry now. I'm going to work hard and do this in my own strength. Oh, that's a broken cistern, uh, and, and that's not really satisfying. So, man, uh, that, this old cistern over here of pornography Oh, that, that old cistern over here of, of losing my temper. And, we, and we, we go back and forth when God's saying, stop, you were created to know me. So you want to change the world, let God change you. Stop trying to fill broken jars and cisterns and go to the fountain of life. You want to change the world, know God. You want to change the world? Pray awkwardly. Because getting to know somebody is awkward. You can ask Stacy when we first started dating. I was the most awkward person in the world. If you have not prayed awkwardly in your life, you have not prayed enough. Because if you're really getting to know somebody, there's going to be awkward times. There's going to be silence of like, God bless China. I don't know what to pray about China. Like... Or, God, I don't know what to, I'm kind of angry with you right now, and I don't know what to do about it. You want to change the world, repent. Turn away from your sins. Stop trying to drink out of broken cisterns. Because the thing is, broken cisterns actually still hold some water in most cases. But it's muddy, polluted water that does nothing. And, and some of you, you've, you guys, you've, you've chased, and I've done this in my life, you've chased a high... The water came, and you're like, oh, this sin's good, and you've, you've kept going back to that muddy water. And Jesus, I've got clean water for you. Part of turning away from your sin is confessing your sins. The Bible says we need to confess our sins one to another. That doesn't mean coming up in front of everybody and sharing everything. It means finding some people you trust and going, hey, this, these are the things I deal with. I have anger with my spouse. I have, I have lust that I'm dealing with. I'm a gossip. Whatever it is, find somebody and find someone who's willing to kick you in the butt. Hidden sin is stupid. And I know that because five years of my life was robbed through hidden sin. I was in ministry and got out of high school and my broken cistern was pornography. 
and I hid it for five years of my life, and it robbed every encouragement that tri somebody tried to give me, everything, because I said, if you knew me, in my heart, you knew me, you wouldn't, you wouldn't think that. And I didn't have joy. So if you're dealing with hidden sin, stop. Expose it. Find somebody you trust. Do it today. Tomorrow's going to be harder. Trash your bro broken cisterns and let's return to God. If there's things in your life where you'd say, hey, I have left the fountains of living water and there's cisterns in my life that I need to break up and, and I need to go back to the fountains of living water. We're going to open the altar. If, if that's you, I just encourage you, I'm not going to do some emotional altar call. Just come on up and say, hey, that's, that's me.